0: Um, our grounding text today is going to be found in Luke chapter 10, uh, 25 to 28, if you'd like to turn there, kind of go in old school, low tech, he says through a microphone, not that old school. Um, I want everyone to know that uh, the next few sermons and then the sermon series over the summer is really uh, bathed in prayer and designed to say, who are we as Bethel? What is the church of God and what is God's unique desire for us as Bethel here? God's unique desire for all of us living our lives, our utmost for his highest, right here, right now. And the assumption is that everybody who's here regardless of motivation, wants to be here, wants to be here seeking, wants to be engaged, is expectant uh, of the Lord and, and working this through. But where this message is, and then it'll be followed up uh, next week, this is the bad news, good news, are what are the challenges that we face because of our heart, because of the world around us, because of the difficulty of God's work in changing hearts and in changing lives, what are the challenges to arriving um, where God would have us. So the, the title of this is stationary. And for those of you that have joined us for the uh, Wednesday night, a Bible study, we're looking at second Corinthians. And, and one of the messages there was that Paul was saying, uh, people were challenging him about his ministry. Were you an effective minister? Did you matter at all? These other apostles are the ones we should be listening to. Uh, and, and there was all of this kind of flack. Now, Paul could have just You know, pulled out his guns and just said, no, it's this and this and this and truth and blown him away. But he didn't because it wasn't just about the kind of church or the kind of ministry merely that was being built in Corinth. But it was all the people there. That was the church. They had confused the church with all the trappings and and the things that the, the labels that the world put on And they separated themselves from that. And that's where the problems were. So Paul draws them back by saying, no, you guys are the church. Any evidence of God doing good things in here, it's through us and it's in you. And so you are written letters of commendation. You are these living letters that shows God's continuing work in you. Now, now Mario mentioned that Mother's Day tends to be a Hallmark holiday and, and it is. It was invented basically to boost card sales. We need to sell more cards. What are we going to do? Hmm. We'll just have Mother's Day, Father's Day. And, and really, that's it. And it's not nothing wrong with it, but it's this holiday that was invented basically to sell cards. And nowadays with e-cards, with other things, um, you know, we're all over the place with that. But I remember, you know, you go to a stationery store or a bookstore or something, something. You go and you pick out the cards and, and all of this. And, and stationery and living letters is all biblical. It's exactly where we want to be. But stationary in every other meaning of the term is the greatest risk for each of us in in wanting to follow after Christ and for us as a body, as a witness here in the community. And it's because of gravity, gravity of our hearts, the gravity of this world, the busyness of life, so many other things that challenge and get in the way. And so we tend to settle. I tend to settle. We see this throughout the Old Testament where God had something so beyond what anyone could imagine. And he's leading them a step at a time. And he's just waiting for them to get it so he can lead them on again. He doesn't want to go too far ahead of them. He doesn't want to push them out. And so he's walking with them and delighting. But where problems happen is when people settle for less than what God has. That life gets Looms large on the horizon. The, the demands of, of just each day and, and family and, and work and expectations. It just becomes more and more. When we read the Bible stories, we think, man, that's the action. That, that's where the money is. That's where it's all happening. And then they did this. And then they did this. And God came through. And, and my life seems so different. But what we have to realize is a lot of we, what we read is a compressed history. And it's a selective history. You see, when, when God was uh, leading people into the promised land, lots of purposes, he said, I didn't choose you because you're better than anyone else. Quite the opposite. Actually, you guys pretty, pretty much suck. But, um, and I didn't choose you because you're more numerous than anyone. A- actually, one of the smaller, more insignificant peoples of the earth. Um, and that's, that's just because you only have a map of the Mediterranean. If you saw China or Thailand, woo! Um, and so God's just saying, look, you know, don't be too full of yourself. But, I chose you because I'm dealing with these other people. And I want to bless you so that ultimately the whole world can be blessed. And so they said, you go into the promised land. I will go before you. It is impossible. Giants in the land. When when they saw, okay, God, you want us to do this? Let's see how you want us to do it. And everyone said, there's no way. There's no way we can do this. That's insanity. And most of them remained stationary. They did not want to move forward in God. Finally, he gets them motivated. They're going in. And uh, two and a half of the tribes, 12 tribes of God, two and a half of them say, you know what? It's good enough just outside the promised land. We've settled down. We've gotten comfortable here. Finally got kids in the right schools. Jobs kind of got some hope moving up the ladder. Kind of like the neighborhood. We're just going to stay here. So we'll go and help you guys get your promised land. And then we'll just come back to where we settled. And that worked for them. Who were the first two and a half tribes to completely disappear from history? When the Assyrian army came over. Who's them? They settled outside of what God had for them, outside of the best, and and the rest is history, so to speak. Uh, when God cries to us through the minor prophets, where He's not ashamed, He's just look, I'm crying, I, I'm I'm ugly crying, I'm blubbering here because I love you so much, and I don't care because you're important. That's basically a summary of all the minor prophets, and He's saying, guys, you are settling. You see me as an absentee, uh, absentee landlord. You see life as just about you and what I can do to make your life better. And so now I'm going to shake things up a bit to bring you back to me. That's that's basically all the minor prophets. But the message in I was you have clotted. You it's the word we use for coagulate. Uh, you've just gotten like syrupy, slower than going uphill in the wintertime, like molasses. I mean, it's just it's you're. Bleh. Um, I used to be a speed demon height, adrenaline junkie freak like at amusement parks and and climbing and all sorts of things. And so I thought I was just invincible. Um, But it's really comforting talking with people 46 or above, maybe a bit younger, because we can all say, no, no, we're still just as cool and hardcore and cutting edge. We're just getting older and the fluid in our ears is getting thicker. That's why merry-go-rounds now make me sick. Whereas, you know, I couldn't have enough loops and G's and stuff. The fluid in my ears is getting thicker. It's coagulating. It's settling down. So I'm unable and I'm unwilling to put myself in situations where there's more stress, where there's more risk, where there's more danger. And this is, a natu- this is what happens in life. This is the hand that we're dealt, uh, you know, four score and, and whatever, and that's about it. And so there's this natural trajectory of life. But what happens is we tend to think everything in life, even including our relationship with God and, and, and with one another, it all has the same trajectory. And nothing could be farther than the truth. Luke 10. Uh, we looked at this when we're studying Mark. Mark. And it was uh, Mark, it, the, the version of Mark has Jesus teaching this, version of Luke has, the, uh, has one of the scribes saying this. And with the different accounts, you get the sense of this was the main message that Jesus was teaching over and over and over again. And finally, when this one person got it, he, he, he says something very, very, very significant. I want to just focus on this hub because I believe this really is the main mission of the church. And so he was, uh, the, this, uh, in, in Luke it says, uh, we start Luke ten twenty five. A, a teacher of the law um, seeking to test Jesus came up to him and asked, uh, teacher, what, which is the greatest commandment? And uh, he says, well, how does it seem to you? How do you understand it or how do you read it? He says, well, to uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, yes, uh, that you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Do this, and you will live. You have answered correctly, comma, You've gotten the answer right. You believe the right things. You are embracing truth, but it is still not enough. You believe everything. Isn't Christian believing the right thing? It is still not enough just to believe the right things. Because if we believe the right things and don't do them, it's just judgment. It's just more judgment. Like like I, I mentioned before, I always tell my students before theology class, if you're not willing to do and change uh, and, and rearrange your life according to the new stuff we're learning about God, then don't take this class. Because all you're doing is storing up more judgment for yourself rather than being set free as God would want you to be set free. And so Jesus cuts right to the heart of the situation. Seeking to test him's is not a bad thing. That's how um, rabbis, that's how they sparred. Okay, if if this is really true... You know, can you go here? Can you go there? It's kind of a fencing match. You know, Ooh, touche. So, so absolutely legit. He's, he's getting in his face and saying, is this true? And he gives the right answer. So far, so good. But he cuts him off. Do this and you will live. Not just be right. Not just be justified. Not just get to heaven. But live full life. What is it that's missing? What are you craving? What is true life for you? Do this and you will live. But where we have backed away from that with mission drift is believe this and you will be justified and it is enough and it absolutely is not. The very next verse continues, seeking to justify himself, he asked, who is my neighbor? And then he goes on to the parable of the Good Samaritan. And that's all the difference in the world between the living church and the dead church, between one that moves forward and one that doesn't, between the amazing things that God did in the past and where is he now? That difference is this. Are we doing this so that we live? If we're not feeling alive... Is there something that's gotten in the way preventing us from doing this? Preventing us from loving God with all that we are, all that we have, all, all that we, we've been and think we could be. Loving those that, placed, that God has placed around us. Tall, tall order. It is just so difficult. Not the least of which because life keeps getting in the way. Do you guys know what mission drift is? Mission drift is in an organization or, or any any entity when you say this is what we 're going to do. We exist to do this we 're going to make glow in the dark inline skates for hamsters. This is our mission we 're going to make we 're going to Live and die by this thing. And, and we're going we're to do this. And so this company, as, as small of a market as they might have be targeting, they know when they win, when they lose. They know when they're going in the right direction, when they're not. They know if they're achieving their goals or they aren't because it's a very clear mission. And if they say, if they start going over and they're making dialysis machines, dialysis machines are great, but they've really drifted from their original goal. Okay, in, in the world of uh, commerce and business and, and, and market share and all of that, sure, you, you can mix and match. But in the vertical orientation of the absolute truth of God, uh, consequences get a lot more when we have mission drift. Guys here of the Coast Guard? Creighton, have you ever heard of the Coast Guard? Yeah. Paul? Okay. Um, guys here of the Humane Society? Cat got your tongue? Humane Society? We? Okay. Um, they're the same thing. The Coast Guard began as a life saving station off the coast of Massachusetts in the uh, early 19th century. Uh, there, were, there was no Coast Guard. There was none of this, really. And so when ships would flounder, or flounder, maybe it was a large flounder they hit and they would start foundering. And um, uh, this, this group would, would be vigilant all night, and when they saw a, a ship that was struggling, they'd row out there and save lives. Um, and so they build another life-saving station. They build another life-saving station. But pretty soon, it was the members that had started it. It was like, man, these, these boats, when you pull them in, they get the carpet all wet in the house. Surely we, can we combine something else? we got to raise money so we can get more boats. And so they started having a lot more functions and stuff. People started complaining because when you rescue people from the sea, they kind of smell like the sea. And and that's kind of nasty. So can we put the people somewhere else? And uh, over time, it became more of a social organization. And then they took the the cause of how do we help animals not be so... uh, Help help them to be ethically treated. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's a huge mission drift of we're going to save people who are drowning to um, we're going to make sure that this lipstick isn't tested on a rabbit. Both key, but completely different. Because... Life happened. The demands of the life-saving station became too much. So we're going to let the professionals do that. They can do it better. They got more time. They have the training. And, and then we can focus on what we can do. And there will always be mission drift when we do that. It doesn't matter what the organization is. If we don't keep coming back to this is why we're here. This is the main reason. This is what it's all about. We're going to have mission drift. We also face difficulty... Because of the gravity of our own hearts. Our lives are more complex than they've ever been. But no, uh, no more interrelated than anyone's been in history. If anything, we have less relationships in our lives uh, th- than people did before. I mean, real relationships, not cy- cyber, 10,000 friends, happy birthday. Um, which has its place too. And with all of these demands of life, what happens is the main thing gets co-opted for something else. Now, now people, there's, um, if you're a pilot, I guess, there's a pecking order based on what kind of planes that you fly. If you're, if you, whatever you are in what you do, pe- people have a, a, a kind of a, a scale that they rate you on. Well, missionaries, unfortunately, have that same thing of who's more, you know, Uber, who's more hardcore. And, and with a mission that we're involved in, people like, oh, Eastern Europe, all that. Yeah, that, that's something. But the real hardcore missionaries were the ones that did the overland trip. Ooh, you did one of the overland trips? Wow. Now, an overland trip was, and it only could happen at certain times, was with uh, what was going on in India, Tons of material was, was gathered in Europe and then brought in for the work in India. And it was an overland. It was just a, a convoy of semi-trucks and vans and cars and maybe about 40 people. And they would go from Belgium to uh, India, northeast India. They'd go through the Khyber Pass. Anyone knows, know where that is? Yeah, between Afghanistan and, and Pakistan. A little, little difficult. Terrain. So, in between the Soviet invasion and us showing up, that's when most of these trips happened. Well, going through the Khyber Passes, as many people have discovered, is a bad move in the winter time. But that's the only time they could they could do these trips. So, my friend was saying that their goal was to take all of these clothes um, and and bring it into this uh, work they're doing with uh, orphanage in Northeast India. And so they were excited. This is the mission. This is what we're going to do. This is the work that God wants to build. And We got all these clothes, best stuff, perfect for the kids. They're going in there, and as they're going over the Khyber Pass, uh, their vehicles start slowing down, and they all stop. And they can't get them started. And the reason being that the diesel was gelling up. Uh, it was just that cold. And so the diesel completely gelled up in the trucks and the whole convoy stopped. They couldn't start the trucks, couldn't get any heat from the engine. Um, and it was just such a nightmare. It was really difficult even starting fires. They were praying. No help came. God, what are we going to do? God, this is your mission. If you want us to get these clothes in here because this is, this is what we're doing for any, you you've got to do something. And so one of the mechanics goes, um, why don't we just set the clothes on fire Make a fire underneath all the trucks and heat up the diesel. Everyone's like, but, but, but the, the clothes, the whole mission is to get the clothes there. If we, you know, if we let the, light the clothes on fire, it isn't going to happen. And they said, we're going to die if we don't do this. Okay. And so they took the clothes. They put them all under um, every vehicle. They finally got fire started. And after lots of wind blowing things out and many hours, they were able to get the diesel ungelled enough to get enough vehicles started uh, where they could get going again. What they failed to realize is the clothes weren't really the issue at all. It was them. They were, they were the missionaries. They're the ones that would be spending years there. They're the ones that would be showing what love is. That the, the clothes were just a superficial, here's a need, we're going to meet it. But what God really was doing was bringing living letters and bringing people that this is where the work of Christ is going to happen. One is a lot more difficult than the other. And so when stuff happens, when life happens, when there's difficulty, what was the main thing now gets co-opted to become something else. My biggest fear with my unfinished business, with never having enough time, with more and more demands is this. That I will, not realizing it, but day in and day out, slowly use the resurrection power of God the life-changing power of Christ, the thing that it matters, it's life and death and the thing that people most need in this world. That I will take that power and I will use it to prop up a part of my life that just isn't working. That, that what church then becomes is a place where I can get my needs met, I can be comfortable, I can be safe, it can be familiar. And the world is changing faster Our families are changing faster. Our our work and school environments are changing faster than they ever have in history. And so with more and more change going on, with more and more things that we either feel vulnerable and helpless or we feel overwhelmed and frustrated, that, that where we have power in our life, it just has to go to the immediate. It has to go to the next. It has to go to fix this. But somebody who's grown up in the military, there is nothing more permanent than a temporary solution. That, that what begins is, hey, we'll just do this for now until. See, the context of Luke 10 was Jesus was preaching the gospel. And he was saying, basically, and we have the parallel accounts. It's all about loving God and loving others. How do you understand God's word? So people would quote one part of the law. That's true, but that's not the whole thing. So finally, when people are saying, it's basically we're here to love God, to love others. He's like, absolutely. But that's only half of the story. Okay. With the rate of change, with uncertainty, with the busyness. Church. Is something that has the most flex in our life. That's the scandal of grace. We can abuse it. And so that's where we take our margin, either with time or with with a commitment or with 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 devotion or whatever it is. That's where I take time. The most flexible part of of our lives and what we can do, we, we can borrow from that. Moreover. This is familiar. These are the walls. These are the people. These are the lives. This is how I've done faith. This is the newness of my life. These are awesome memories. This is where I've seen God so work. And it's real and it's good and it's familiar. And all of that is true. Now, when you contrast that with a world that continues to change, continues to be confusing, continues to be overwhelming, this place all the more can't change. It's got to be this way to counterbalance this vulnerability, this out-of-controlness. But what happens is we are forgetting the mission. The mission is in loving God and loving one another, we bring people to God. It is a life-saving station at the end of the day. Now, missions, the mission of God, saving people, it's through, it's, um, through us, among us, and in us. All of these things. And this is what we're going to be looking at. This is what we're going to be talking about over the summer. uh, Of what we're going to be. These are the deal breakers at Bethel. This is what we go to the mat over. This is the most important thing. And then that gives us permission. We can do this so many different ways. What works? What delivers it? What's going to be the very best for everyone? All of us has a need and and an expectation that there should be familiarity. There should be comfort. There should be an expectation. There should be security. That that this is how we do a corporate life together. But does it start there or does it end there? Walk around anywhere in this city and you will see a a catalog, catalog of the past. You can see churches when they went stationary. By the, the architecture, and when they closed, forty churches now up for sale. And you walk around, and there's some awesome churches, awesome buildings. And I, I know some of the stories of them. They were alive, they were rocking, but they're closed, and they're a monument to the past now. It was this is the Gothic style that they did churches, and then this is the uh, Neo Baptist style, this is the Uber Spire God's going to get you style. This is the but but they're just this was the history. This is the time of the church, and they were stationary, and they didn't move forward. And this is a challenge because of me, because of my heart, and because of all of our hearts. Again, the scariest thing for me is that at the end of my life, I would look back and say, God, you know, I had all these things you asked me to do. Where was the power? Where was the grace? Where was, you know, it was enough just to get by. And you say, it was there all along. You just misused it, Bill. You used the most powerful thing in the universe just to help make ends meet in your own life, just to cover the margin when it wasn't there. Most people at the end of their life wish that they reflected on their life more, that this is where my life has settled, this is who I'm becoming, and this is what I need to change. Okay, here's a a nasty truth. All of you will become your parents. Because that's the main model you've had. Nature and nurture, it doesn't matter. Whatever your family origin was, you will become your parents unless you choose not to. Now, there's some great things you want to deliberately carry forward and probably some not great things you want to deliberately change. And your kids will be doing the same thing and so forth and so on. Okay? Um, Hold on. Experiencing technical difficulties with my head. Okay, back online. Um, Ending it up here. The power was there all along, Bill. And you never, never used it. And so I see now the opportunities where I am beyond myself, where I don't know what to do, where I don't see how this is going to happen. This is where I'm cast back on God. This is where it has to be new. It has to be fresh. When we come to the end of ourselves, that is faith. And faith is easy until you have to rely on it. Much of faith much of our lives is easy, frankly, it really is and that's okay And that is a blessing for a purpose blessed to be a blessing not down on that But one of the great dangers of that is grace received becomes grace expected becomes grace demanded Do you know how that works? Grace is something you don't deserve. You just get it. It's just a gift you get this. I don't deserve it Hey, um this is pure silver sterling, and I want you—I want you to hear. You have this. You have this one. It's just a gift, okay? Um, next day, come by. Hey, you know what? Sorry, I'm a little late today. Uh, yeah, it's a thousand dollars. I just—I I want you to have this, okay? So, um, next day, about three hours late. Sorry, dude, I'm running late. You know, there's—you know—I just hear. okay? A week from now, I don't show up. What are you doing? Where is that guy? Come on, I got things to do for crying out loud. Where's my $1,000 sterling silver communion cover? And I show up, you're like, dude, where were you? Sorry, here, here, here you have one. We do this all the time. Grace received becomes grace expected, becomes grace demanded. Now God graces us because he, he loves us. God graces us us to invite us into his presence but he does that that we can move on in him come follow me it's like a dog you know you got to go in the room to remember what you're thinking okay i was back here when i said the context of luke 10 um you can almost hear the gears turning Um, context of luke 10 was preaching the kingdom this is what he was saying all along and right up to this interchange people were saying i will follow you lord but but first, I will, follow you, I will follow you, Lord, but first, let me, let me bury my father. But first, let me take care of this. But first, let me, and, and Jesus saying, you will follow me? Really? Um, all of you guys have nice homes to go to. I don't. You're going to follow me. You're going to go back to your nice home? You're going to follow me? What, what is it? And, and the people were just, had to make a choice. And we don't know what their choice was. Jesus continued to move on. Then there's a seven, sending out of the 72, these people who are following. Do this and you will live. This is what it looks like. So he sends them out. They come back just stupid giddy with joy. The, the, the demons were, were subject to us and we, we all of this. And, and Jesus is laughing. He's pumped. I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. This is the church being the church. He's pumped. But he reminds them, don't get excited that you could do this ministry. Get excited that your name's written in the book of life. Get excited of who you are in me. And when you have that done well, all this is going to flow. All this is going to happen. But when we put the cart before the horse, even with the best motives, what, this is just going to wear us down. It'll become obligation. It'll become duty. We've got to do this. Who's going to see that I'm not there? And it, it, it settles. And how can I say this? Because this is what has happened to every single church on the planet. Because it's filled with people with hearts that are still affected by gravity. The greatest witness that God has for himself in this world is his image bearers following him. The worst example that he has in this world are his image bearers not following him. And and this is where the battle is. This is where we're attacked. This is where, where all the stakes are. The extent to which we can continue to follow Christ to want to follow Christ to to do anything possible if something's getting in the way to to remove that and to move forward and that's why we gather here together that's why we need this and we need each other now here's the upshot of that every church will become a subculture within a few years Unless they reinvent themselves. It's just called incarnation. It's called contextualizing the gospel. God did that in Jesus. He spoke human, he spoke humor, he spoke drama and poetry and and story and, and, and pathos and emotion and all that. He stepped into our lives and he connected to us. And that's what the church needs to do with the world around us. But culture's a moving target, it's always changing. One of the big enemies is failing to appropriately separate the sacred and the secular. See, Jesus could go anywhere, do anything, be with anybody, say anything, all things to all people. Um, But he wasn't influenced. He was an influencer because he had that distinction. Everything is the Lord's. Everything can be sanctified. The difference is God, not necessarily what we're doing with it. And, And so... Not having this distinction, there's a fear of, oh, we're going to be worldly. We're going to sell out. We're going to water down the gospel. We're going to use the ways of the world or whatever and get people in. I don't have any desire to do that. I've I've done that. It it, it doesn't work. It's stupid. It's a treadmill. It never ends. Unless it's the power of God, unless he's building his house, let's just cut our losses now. And so the challenges are absolutely great, absolutely extreme. Aren't you guys glad you came on Mother's Day? Have, Have a nice brunch. Trying to bring it in for a landing here. Bear with me. The challenge is though, this could be one of many, many weeks. Come in. What's going on last week? Wow, need this. We're going. What's what's happening the following week? Kind of lean into it. And that's good. And that's nice. And that's wonderful. But the full resurrection power of Christ. Changing lives. Changing hearts. Loving as we've never been able to. Being able to be loved as we've never been able to. Being able to be... Who we are and vulnerable and not ashamed and okay with it and boast in our weakness and boast in our failures because it points to God all the more. And to have that degree of freedom, that degree of entrepreneurial of just this is where the spirit is leading. This is what God is doing. This is what it means to be on mission in the city. But what that does mean, though, is that all of us have to make sure that we put the uh, we don't put the cart before the horse, that it is Christ first and foremost. Uh, next week, really going to focus on this. And then we're going to be looking at each subsequent week. Uh, like I said, these are our priorities as we are, you know, as a church, these are the deal breakers and, and where we need to focus because having the main thing as the main thing gives us a tremendous amount of freedom. To reach people in in ways that are going to work, in ways that are life-giving, ultimately life-saving because of Christ. That that we are now freed up to be his agents rather than having to preserve what we've built. Yeroslav Pelikan, a theologian, said this. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Tradition is what people did to experience Christ, this worked for them. And so we can borrow some of those forms, some of those engagements, some of those prayers, those ways of being. That's a tradition passed down to us, the way we celebrate communion. It's a tradition. So it is the living faith of the dead. We're not the first ones to experience Christ, and, and all of this is interconnected. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. That's when we become stationary. That's when we say it has to stay like this to balance my life. I have to have this nuclear engine propping up this part of my life because it's not working and and nobody move. And it's that traditionalism which is going to be our biggest enemy. We naturally, all of us, gravitate toward safety, security, predictability, and control. That's how we're made. There's nothing wrong with that. But the question is, I'll mention it again, do we start there or do we end up there? Is our goal to end up in here that we create an environment that is safe, that is um, predictable, that is controlled, and that is, that is comfortable? To a certain extent, some of that is good. Safe is good, okay? Don't, don't get me wrong here. Probably not putting metal detectors up, but, but safe is good. Um, but, but is it a priority? People are the priority. And last time I checked, when I was shaving this thing in the mirror, um, people are unpredictable, and people are not comfortable, and people are uh, – you can't control them. And uh, mothers can't control, right? If people are the prize and we're going after them, then that means we will have to deliberately choose to move away from safety, to move away from comfort, to take bigger risks – To step out more on faith. To step out more on God. That we come quickly to the end of ourselves. If we can build this, I don't want in. If we can do a work here in our own strength, it'll be good. But it'll be stationary. And it'll be irrelevant in a few years. And that was nice then. And now it's traditionalism. The only way we're going to be sure that we're building something that is going to be the life-changing power that we need as God continues to transform our wills and our affections and our minds. The only thing that this world that is lost and broken that would ever make a difference isn't showing the world that Christians are cool or isn't showing the world that, that we're not maniacs or, or whatever, but it's showing the Savior who's humbled himself and uses idiots like us, the broken, to reach the broken if that 's the target, there will be a lot more risk, there will be a lot more change and so but that, we have freedom to do that if we can be clear of the non negotiables. God the same yesterday, today, and forever. We lay hold of that. Salvation in Christ alone, we lay hold of that. We were created to worship God in every aspect and sphere of our life. And and it's not this, but it's all the more this. What we do here is so between Sundays we can worship God. The truth of God needs to be paramount in our lives so that we can do, so that we can live. We're a living faith, a living church. All of us are written letters. And the goal isn't what can you do to fulfill the mission of Bethel Christian Church. It is what has God called you to do and how does he want you to best fulfill that and max it out in the church that he's building even while he's yet building it with us. The only way we're going to do this is we go way out over our skis, way out beyond ourselves, to where it has to be God. God has to come through. God has to move in people's hearts. The other thing that people... Uh, regret at the end of their life, besides not reflecting more, is not taking more risks. Most of the things that we're afraid of happening never do, really. Most of the stuff that we really stressed over didn't come to pass. And we see that life really was a lot more malleable. We were a lot more rugged than we thought. And we would have wished that we risked more. But looking at eternity, looking at the ultimate power that's available to us, balls in our court and that's what I want to be about that is beyond me I can't do this it's beyond you you can't do this and then it will be attractive because it is Christ then it will be it will be desirable it'll be substance it'll be real people will see this in the city because it's not just what we can build tempor- temporarily how can we just relate, relate and meet needs but how can we be in ground zero of what God wants It will happen in us. It will happen through us. It will happen amongst us. That is God's great desire. That is his provision. He's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He's given us everything that we can be partakers of the divine nature. And it comes down to this. The great big difference between a church that will over time become stationary and irrelevant and die. And possibly faith fades with it. Or at least the potential. um, And the difference between being dynamic, being alive, having a quality and a core of life and faith that is so different from anything we've settled for thus far is this. Everybody on this side believes the right things. Everyone. These these are good churches, good people. That's not the issue. Theology is not the issue. They all believe the right things, but it'd be putting the cart before the horse. Do this and you will live is the critical difference. How many people believe we need to love God? That's not going to make you live. That's just a fact. That's all it is. Satan believes that. Satan's theology is better than yours or mine. Not helping him, is it? It's more judgment. The big difference is do this. I come to church to live. To live. I'm a dying man preaching to dying men and women. No, this isn't a medical announcement. I mean, none of us makes it out of here alive. And that gravity is being felt a little more in the body, and the mind. And that's the reason all the more I want what God has. Because at this pivotal point, maybe in, in uh, my life, every point's a pivotal point, really. Um, I see how easy it could be to build a comfortable church. I see how easy it could be to build a safe church, one we can control, one we can predict. It'll be just the same. It'll be what you want it to be. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Meet all of our needs and we get our needs met and that's great. We haven't begun to live. We haven't made a difference. We've gotten our needs met, co-opted the resurrection power of Christ that we can be comfortable, we can be safe. We don't have to risk. God didn't do that with us. I'm so glad that God wasn't a paper boy, you know, paper boys who still have those um, where he just gave us some news in the early morning and disappeared and we read about it and that's it. We don't have to be paper boys either. You know how how unsettling it is going up and sharing faith and talking with people. But it is because God doesn't want us to just present news and, and go away. He wants our lives to be open, to be being worked out, to be vulnerable before people. Where people see where the power comes from. People see where, who we rely upon, where our hope is, how we're engaged. So there's going to be a lot more that is mission forward and, and, and moving. There's going to be a lot more that God is going to ask of each person here. Um, anything that I ask, pff, yeah, whatever. probably don't listen to it. But what God's doing, I want to get on that train. And I'm asking all of us here, let's focus on that. There is mission drift already. That's my fault as lead pastor. There is gravity and and coagulation. I've allowed my heart to go a little too much in that direction of just enough day to day. Let's just do this again. We can have a very nice church experience. We can have all our needs met. We can make this just what we want for us. But we've stopped being the church. We stopped being the church. Do this and you will live. That we have permission. We are being enabled to love as God loves. Freely. Recklessly. Not worrying about how it's going to affect us. Knowing that we are going to be fulfilled because we're taking care of others' needs. That that we're growing in trust. That we're able to trust God for even more than we did last year. And each of us will be able to say our best years still lie before us. If any of us can say the best was in the past, that is the danger of traditionalism. And I hope you can say that because there should be great things we can point to in the past and say that was awesome, this is pivotal, it's a cautionary tale, whatever. But each of us in Christ should be able to see our best years are yet before us. That's what living is all about. I'm going to celebrate communion. As I pray, I'd like uh, the worship team and deacons to come forward, please. Father. It is so simple and it is so difficult. Coming to you, the easiest thing in the world, Lord, forgive me, I am a sinner. I accept what you did for me on the cross. You forgave all of my sins. And it's the most difficult thing in the world because a prideful heart, uh, very difficult to see past. But we thank you that you have done it all for us completely. That you have given yourself recklessly, freely, freely lovingly to us not just that we would know the right things not just that we would believe the right things not just that we could make a name for Bethel but that we would be set free to be worshippers in spirit and truth that we could live lives that are bold lives that are risky lives that are exhilarating lives that are terrifying at times because we can't rely on ourselves we have to rely on you You enabled this, Father. Let us not settle for anything less than full surrender, full freedom in you. Where the Spirit of Christ is, there is liberty. And whatever is getting in the way, whatever it might be, sandbags holding us down, or uh, just barricades that we've constructed from the debris of our life where we feel safer, whatever it is, Lord, speak into our hearts. Show us what you would want to remove. Show us what the hindrance is that we would do this and live. In your name we pray. Amen. As the communion elements come around, this is a symbolic way of focusing on Christ, his sacrifice for us. Uh, If you're not feeling cool taking it, or this is just something new and, and whatever, just let it pass. That's absolutely fine. It's a, it's a symbolic way of focusing on Christ. Please just uh, take as it comes by and, and partake. Um, we'll all partake together. Are celebrating um, the Lord's Supper, he began it by telling his friends, I have so earnestly desired to share this meal with you. For him, it was about the fellowship. For him, it was about uh, the people through whom he was going to change his world completely through. And as he was looking out at their faces, I, I can't but imagine thinking, uh, that, that he was thinking, um, this is plan A. This is where I am going to delight in the most, this is where I'm going to show my power the most, this is how I'm best going to change the world, and and from the whole conversation, Jesus was excited about fellowship, about union, union, um, about connection, if you love me, you'll, you'll, you'll follow me, so that I can abide, I can make myself at home in you, I can be comfortable, it could be well-worn relationship, I delight in that. The very last thing he said to them is, I will not celebrate this fellowship together with you until it's all said and done, and we do this in the kingdom. So the in-between time, what we celebrate now, proclaiming the Christ's death and resurrection, our hope, his power, until he comes again, the time he set... In this in-between time, this is where he best wants to grow us and use us. He delights in us. He so wants to fill out every aspect of our life and to grow us beyond ourselves. The night that he was betrayed, looking out at his friends, he took bread, he prayed, he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Every time they eat of this, this you do, remembrance of me the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. securing what is completely impossible and beyond us to achieve salvation, setting us free. And as we look down the road, as we look within, we look at the challenges in our lives and the giants in the land and the areas where we would shrink back or settle for less, that you would provoke within us a holy dissatisfaction with the way things are, within and without. And we would hear your voice calling us the ever upward and onward call of God in Christ Jesus, that we would delight with you, that we'd be exhilarated with you, that we would marvel with you at all that you have yet to do in us, among us, and through us, that through your work, through Bethel, San Francisco would be made famous for Jesus Christ.
1: Would you stand up with me as we finish the service off of the song?
0: Our prayer counselors, to come forward, please. If there is anything that you would like prayer for, for yourself, for someone else, a need, a praise—I uh, don't know—I just need prayer. Whatever it is, really want to work, uh, work and labor together in prayer with you and for you. Uh, please remember, we do have summer sign-ups. That uh, being here, that sheet for summer sign-ups. Um, on the back, all the information. Some wonderful opportunities coming up more on that, but please check that out. Go to, to do loving him, loving others that we all may live. See you
2: next week.